Now, it's great to be here today, and I, and I, uh, I am a, a pinch hitter today because our pastor, Pastor uh, Ferguson, is on injured reserve. So continue to pray for him and as he recovers from uh, uh, surgery last week. Uh, it's, well, it's great to be with you here today. Um, you want to go ahead and go forward? Um, if, you, if, you, uh, if you look on the screen, when I, when I was, uh, had first become a Christian, the kind of the, I would say the, the biggest thing in, in Christian music was Keith Green. And that this, is, this dates me because he, he passed away before many people in this room uh, even um, were born. He, he passed away on July 28, 1982. And I remember that because as a new Christian, we all listened to Keith Green. And I remember waking up just after Brenda and I had gotten married and find out that he had passed away. And it was devastating because I, I thought as a new Christian, everything was always going to be great. And I didn't realize that there was going to be trouble. But... Uh, the reason I bring up Keith Green is because he said something 40 years, almost 40 years ago, that has stuck with me. I was telling uh, Jason this morning that, uh, you know, I've heard thousands and thousands of sermons in the last 40 years, and hardly anything ever sticks with you. You hope it makes a difference. But what Keith Green said stuck with me for the last 40 years, and that's this. Let me just read it to you. The Lord made me realize recently that if I did not absolutely relish his company now, desiring to be with him more than anything else in the whole world, then I would not really be comfortable in heaven at all. For it is there that we will spend all eternity in the company of the Holy One who made us. The title of his his provocative essay was, um, Will You Be Bored in Heaven? Well, what I want to talk to you about today, what we're going to focus on, is this idea of that we as believers, our home is in heaven, but God has left us here on earth. So there's this tension. How do we be heavenly minded? How do we be citizens of heaven, yet live effectively here on this earth as believers? And we're going to talk about that tension today. The title that I put together was is Expatria Vita, which is Latin. Uh, uh, expatria meaning uh, absent from home or absent from your country. Vita means life. So the expat life or the, uh, the life away from your home. You know, when I was a, a young person, I used to lay in bed at night and then ask God to give me an international experience. And not really experience, to let me do something international. And Brenda told me the other day that she goes, if I'd have known all this, these prayers that you had, maybe I wouldn't have married you. Yeah. But no, it's a, I prayed that God would give me an opportunity to, to, uh, to be an expat. Um, and, and you know what, I, just, I say that to you young people, be careful what you pray for because God answers our prayers. So I, we've had the opportunity to live in three different countries working. And what, the, the, what we experience as an expat has a lot of uh, parallels to our, our uh, expat life as Christians. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, so we're going to focus on Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. And, and so this is Paul's letter to the Philippians. And Paul, uh, when Paul was converted in 33 AD, he's writing this letter in, almost 30 years later in 62 AD. And he planted the church in Philippi somewhere in the middle there. So this is a long-term relationship 
with Paul and these, and these believers in Philippi. So what he was asking, what he, what he, the, the focus of the theme of this, of this uh, book of Philippians is what, that they should live as, as, as citizens of a heavenly city. We're going to talk about what that means. They should grow in their commitment to serve God and to one another. And that Jesus is the supreme example of this way of life. And also, as we're going to see in the next verse, that, that, uh, that Paul says, imitate me. And we'll, and we'll get to that as we move forward. So go to verse 17. In verse 17, let me read it with you. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So what Paul is saying to those at Philippi is that uh, there's a distinct difference between the way we live and and the way others live. And he says that, um, and he didn't say this, it it would be wrong to think that Paul is being arrogant here. He's saying, you know, but follow, do what we do. Do what we do. In fact, uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says to, to the Corinthians, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And I think that we as believers, we need people that we can, can stand and we can watch in the faith. And that's why I encourage you. Uh, I became a, a Christian when I was 18, and there are so many people in my life who are responsible for who I am today because they were mentors in my life. We all need mentors no matter what age we are. Also, it would be wrong for somebody to say, do as I, uh, as I say, not as I do. We need people who uh, are followers of Christ that we can follow them because we are living in... Uh, the, 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 the Christians should have a different way of life. And that's really what Paul was saying to the, the, the Philippians. Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Find those people in your life. Verse 18 and 19. For I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. The enemies uh, that I think that Paul is talking about here could be the legalist. These are people who that wanted um, these, these the believers to get circumcised, to have some kind of act of works going on in their life so that, that that's where salvation came from or that a work was necessary uh, for salvation. But I think here, I think what Paul's talking about is, uh, is those who were not legalists, but they were full of license. And what I mean by that is that they, they expanded their liberties as a Christian beyond what we would expect. Uh, they indulged their flesh um, it's, it's the people who said, you know what, uh, and, I, and we read about this in 1 Corinthians 6 and, and Romans 6, people who um, said, you know, I can, as long as my soul is saved, it doesn't matter what I do. Repentance doesn't matter. These are the, I think these are the enemies of Christ that Paul is talking about here, those that would take license with the gospel, that they would, they would uh, um, say, you know, they would not look at the full gospel. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting as we, if you, if you study the scriptures, you see how many times do the words repentance and faith go together? It's like they're, they're always bookends to one another. And, then, and I think this is what Paul is talking about. In fact, uh, if, you, if you look at Charles Spurgeon's commentary on this verse, this is what Spurgeon says. 
professors of religion. Now, I have to tell you, this is not pro a, prof a professor, like an academic professor. These are those that profess, okay? So those that profess are professors of religion who get into the church and yet, and yet lead ungodly lives are the worst enemies that the cross of Christ has. These are the sort of men who bring tears to the minister's eyes. These are they who break, these are they who break his heart. These are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So what Spurgeon's saying, it's, these, it's this group who, who acts religious, but yet does whatever they want to. That these, these bring tears to the minister's eyes. In fact, in fact, if you, if you see Paul said um, that he was writing this with tears, that there are some that live as enemies of Christ. It's the same thing, that, that profess Christ, but yet live as if there's no relationship with Christ. Uh, if you go on to verse 19, Paul goes on to say, they're they're, this group that we're talking about, these enemies of Christ, their destiny is destruction. And that's probably what, what brought tears to Paul's eyes, is that this group that, that's they're acting like they're believers, but don't, but don't live like they're believers, they, they profess belief, but don't live like they're believers, that their destiny is destruction. So he, he understands what their, what their future holds. He says, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. So when he says, when Paul says that their God is their stomach, what I, I think there is not referring really to what they eat. It's, it's referring to the fact that they, they've... Uh, um, uh, they, they, they have this broad sense in their lives uh, and they've expanded out to just, they, they just take it all in, okay? Uh, in fact, um, the, their pleasure is their body, their mind, and their soul. They're just, it's, it's this uh, smorgasbord of life that we would say that, that uh, in the same way he was using the example of, of, uh, of the stomach, but what it is, it's much bigger than that. Um, you know, he says that the glory is their shame. They, this group of people, they, they uh, glorify the shameful things in their lives. And we've known folks like that who, who do, they glorify the wrong that they do in their lives. And Paul is pointing them out. And he says finally, and this is important for us as we go through this this morning, their mind is set on earthly things. Their mind is set on earthly things. And we're going we're gonna to talk about that as we finish up today, this idea that uh, we are called to be citizens of heaven, but we can't have our minds set on earthly things. Our minds have to be set on heavenly things. How do we do that? How do we work through that tension? Um, so what have we done? So far, uh, Paul has said, follow us as, as examples of this Christian life, for there are many out there who live differently. Their, their citizenship is really earthly. They profess Christ, but really they're enemies of the gospel because they, they, uh, they say certain things, but they live much differently. And that's really that's where we want to go from now. So follow, uh, continuing on, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. But our citizenship is in heaven. Now, Matt, we start out talking about what an expat is. So really... What we are is we are expat Christians. Our citizenship is in heaven, but we're living away from home now. 
Our citizenship is in heaven, but we are living away from home now. I, I can tell you as uh, somebody who's lived in different countries, even though that you, you, uh, you're living there, sometimes there's this sense that um, this is not home and it's going to take a while for it to be my home. And it's the same way, I think, as, as what Paul is saying here is, is as believers, our citizenship is somewhere else. What does that mean for us? Um, if we are citizens of heaven, it means that we are resident aliens on earth. Foreigners are distinct in whatever foreign land they go. Christians must be so marked by their heavenly citizenship that they are noticed as different. I remember uh, showing up in Korea, our last uh, kind of international assignment, and realizing, walking out of that apartment, that everybody there knew that we weren't from Korea. I mean, we looked different, we dressed a little bit different, we, we spoke differently. Everybody knew that we were different. And I was thinking about this this morning, that's really the way it should be. If we are Christians and our citizenship is in heaven, everything that we, the, the way we live should mark us as foreigners. Because our citizenship is in heaven. We need to be different. We need to be so distinctive in our worldview that we're noticed by those around us. And, and, and sadly, too often, uh, we attempt to blend in as believers. We t attempt to uh, live in a way that we're not distinctive on this earth. And I think that's what uh, uh, Paul is calling us to, that uh, uh, we have our home in heaven, and here on earth we are a colony of heaven's citizens. That's what the church should be. So not only as individuals should we be distinctive, but as a church we should be distinctive. People should say, uh, oh, Mercy Hill, I know about those folks. They're different. Now, it, takes a, it takes a long time to, to maybe earn that reputation, but that's what, what's what we should seek is to be, uh, is to be those who are living as, as, as followers of Christ that we're that so in such a way that we are distinctive from those who are not living and following Christ. Um, continuing on. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus. You know, I've always liked verse 20 because um, I loved all things international, and so I read that our citizenship is in heaven. I thought, that's, that, I love that, that, that our citizenship is really somewhere else. But I, I, always, I, never, I always skipped over to the second part of that. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus. We eagerly await. The, uh, Paul uses that term several times throughout his, his letters, that eagerly, the same, the same term, that how we were anxiously awaiting Christ's return, or we're anxiously awaiting for something. Um, if you look at um, Wayne Grudem, who's the, who's the professor of theology at, at Phoenix Seminary, said this, looking, referring to that verse. He said this, To some extent, then, the degree we actually long for Christ's return is a measure of the spiritual condition of our own lives at the moment. It gives some measure of the degree which we see the world as it really is, as God sees it, in bondage to sin and rebellion against God and in the power of the evil one. So what's Grudem saying? He said, you know, if we, 
to the extent that we long for Christ's return, in, in a lot of ways, is a measure of our own spiritual life because those that long for Christ's return recognize how this world is in bondage to sin. It's in bondage, it, it, it's a rebellion against God and, um, uh, and lives under the power of the evil one. So what Grudem is saying is that we can actually look at our, our spiritual condition by, by thinking about how, how much do we, how eager are we for Christ to return. So think about it in your own life, and we can make application in our own lives. You know, we, uh, are, we, are you eager for Christ to return? Do you recognize the way that the, the things are in this world? And, and given that today, Brent and I were, were talking about uh, we grieve over Afghanistan, what's about to happen, and what's happening in Afghanistan. We grieve over Lebanon, as we, we found out today that uh, some of the hospitals don't have enough fuel to even run their generators, uh, and people will, will die. Uh, you know, the, we grieve for what's going on on this earth. We grieve for the sin that we see around us. Do we long for Christ's return, knowing that uh, when, when Christ returns, uh, things will be uh, much better? So do we eagerly right, await, do we, are you, and do I eagerly await Christ's return? Uh, do we love earthly things, neglect or walk or a fellowship? Or do we have a deep walk with Christ and we, we, you know, we focus on caring for the sick, the, the suffering, the aged? I think what we need to do is use this as a measure of kind of our current spiritual condition. Uh, or do we eagerly, eagerly await Christ's return. I, my brother posted this on Facebook. I hate to steal from Facebook for my sermon, but I had to. I thought it was so good. Um, this is a pastor out of Tennessee, and he says this, and this, this was so thought-provoking for me. Most of us have chosen heaven over hell, but not many of us have chose heaven over earth. See, the question is, are we truly, are we living like we're citizens of heaven, or do we, do we have this kind of love affair with the earth as it is? The more that I think we, as, we, as, we, uh, as our lives are transformed by Christ, the more I think that we desire the things of Christ in heaven as opposed to the things of earth. And I thought that was interesting. So I think that as we're, if we're going to be uh, citizens of heaven, we have to understand what are the implications uh, of that. So, let's talk about what does this mean? This is the tension that I was talking about when we started. If our citizenship is in heaven and we should desire Christ's return, how are we to live in this world? Okay, I think that uh, as believers, we, we uh, understand that if our citizenship is, is truly in heaven, but we're here on earth, there's going to be tension. So we should recognize and experience a little, a little tension being in this world and being Christians creates this tension. We should have a world and life view that is distinct from the unbelieving world. You should feel the tension. Since the time of the apostles, everyone has felt it. So this isn't anything new. Even the apostles understood that, that there's this tension between uh, our citizenship in heaven, yet we're on this earth for our purpose, and there's that that tension that happens. So what is our obligation here on earth? What should we be doing? 
First of all, we are, I think we're called to be in the world, but not of the world. How many of you have heard that before? You need to be in the world, but not of the world. It's actually not in Scripture. You have to derive it from, from several Scriptures. But it's the truth. It's that we are to live here in, in the world, but not to be of the world's system. Okay, so if we're going to uh, be citizens of heaven, but live effectively as Christians here on this earth, we can't be part of the world's system. Follow along with me. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of this world, because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. As Jesus speaks to the disciples here, that we are, we are in the world, but not part of the world. So when we talk about the world, we're not talking about living on earth. We're talking about part of the world system, the system that, that, uh, that we see around us. In John 17, uh, this is Jesus praying. He says this, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So what, what Jesus is saying is in his prayer is, look, I, uh, they are not of this world, just like I'm not of this world. I don't ask you to take them out of where they are, just remove them from earth today, but just protect them from the evil one. What does that mean for us? It means that we are, we are called, even though our citizenship is in heaven, we're called to live a certain way here on earth. We're, we, we have duties that God has given us here on earth. Okay, We're to be in the world, but not of the world. Christ did not ask the Father to take us out of the world, but to protect us from the evil one. I think that's a great prayer. That, that God would protect us from the evil one as we go about the things that God has called us to do. The second thing we can do to relieve this tension is to be about uh, our job as ambassadors for Christ to this world. If you look at 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21, starting with verse 19, um, it says this, that is, in Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting, counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he has made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this, how, do we re, how do we justify or how do we go through this tension being uh, citizens of heaven, but being left on this earth, is to be God's ambassadors here on earth. In fact, if you, this is amazing uh, language, especially for a political scientist, is that we are citizens somewhere else, but we're here to be an ambassador. We're here to bring the, the message of reconciliation. In fact, it says that, that uh, God has entrusted you and I with this message of reconciliation. He didn't just entrust John as our pastor to, with the message of reconciliation. Each of us has the message of reconciliation. Each of us has that. We are to be Christ ambassadors on their serve. We have been entrusted with the message of reconciling a lost world with the truth. We bring two warring parties together. Our role is to be an ambassador. Uh, we are representing our nation, our heavenly nation, 
in a foreign land. Even though as Christians our citizenship is in heaven, we are representing Christ on this earth as his ambassadors. That's a big, that's a, that's a great, that's a great challenge and it's a great duty. God has chosen to work on this earth through us. So we have this tension. We are uh, citizens of heaven, yet we're called to live in this world, but not in the world system. And we have a duty, and that is to be Christ ambassadors, to bring the message of reconciliation to a lost world. So we live in the world, but we're not part of the, same, of the world system. We're dif- different and distinctive. So what are some practical ways we can live biblically in this world? And certainly, as we go to Scripture, you know that Jesus said that the two great commandments are that we would love God and that we'd love our neighbor as ourselves. We can start there, certainly. Let me, let me uh, lay out some practical things that I think that we can do in our own lives as we, as we avoid this tension between um, living on this earth, yet our citizenship is in heaven. The first thing I would say is that we need to, and this is my challenge to you, this is, my, this is the practical nature of what, what we're getting at today. One is that we need to uh, learn to love God with our minds. Okay? We need to learn to love God with our minds. We, always, we talk about a lot, we need to love God with our hearts and our souls. But the scripture says we also need to love, learn God, love God with our minds. Romans 2, 12, 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Luke 10. And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And you love your neighbor as yourself. Colossians 3, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are earth. So by loving, learning to love God with our mind, so intellectually, there's a part of loving God that comes, it's an intellectual pursuit. And I challenge each of us that in this next year that we focus more on our study of the word. That we, 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 we focus in, we try to learn to think God's thoughts after him. We do that by learning to love God with our minds. Um, you know, we are... In the truth, we're, I've heard this before, and I think it's, there's a lot of truth in it, that we're the sum total of our daily thoughts. What do we think about all day long? So I'm challenging you, and I'm challenging myself, is that we, we learn to think God's thoughts after him by studying his word, by reading books that will challenge us, help us to understand how we can love God with our minds. Um, be renewed. Love God with your mind. Set your mind. These are active commands. We need to do it actively and not passively. So that means that we need to pursue um, uh, loving God with our minds with, with uh, purpose, with, with, uh, with a plan, and not just expect it to happen. If you remember, back in when we were talking just a, a few slides ago in Philippians 3.19, he said that these enemies of Christ, their minds was set only on earthly things. We need to learn to love God with our minds so our, they would say about us that our minds are set on heavenly things and understanding the world as, as God sees it. We all are familiar with Philippians uh, 4.8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, 
think about these things. We need to learn that, that to love God with our minds. The things we think about are the things that God would have us to think about. We would understand him more as we, as we go through life. The second thing that we can do on this earth as we are expats, really, in, in, the, in the Christian world is to learn to love the right things. Learn to love the right things. John, 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We're not to love the world. Pure and undefiled religion, this is from James 1.27, In the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans, to widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Learn to love the right things. From Romans 13. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For, those, for, the, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So we need to, to learn to love the unlovely. And we need to learn to love others. Because that's what Christ has commanded. Uh, we need to learn to, to love the things that are not of this world. As we see in John 2.15 uh, there. If you look at that... Uh, so the warning in John 2.15 corresponds with the, la the last verse of 1 John says this, little children, keep yourself from idols. Keep yourself from idols. And when we're talking about idols, I think that's, that would be a good description of the things of this world. Um, this is from Randy Alcorn. It says, any, an idol in, is, is any God substitute, anything we make bigger than him. If we make some element of popular culture, whether it's our leisure or pastime, hobby or special interest in sports or arts or music, and make that an idol instead of serving the Lord, it has become our God. Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for, for from it flows the spring of life. So we need to determine on a daily basis what's capturing our heart. Are we, are, are we loving the right things or, or are we, have we drifted somewhere away? So what has captured our heart? So we need to keep our heart, guard our In fact, if you look at a different uh, translation, it says guard your heart for out of it come the issues of life. I, I've worked several times in, in ministry over my life and uh, it seems like whenever you deal with teens and college students, that that's, that's always been my message to them, is that guard your heart, protect your heart, because whatever captures your heart is going to be the direction that your, heart go, that your life goes. And, you know, we're commanded to, um, to, to protect our heart, for out of it comes the issues of life. So learn to love the right things. We need to constantly think about, are there idols in my life that are keeping me from being distinctive on this earth? We're called to live in the world, but not of the world. Am I distinctive? Are there idols in my life that are keeping me from uh, fulfilling that purpose? The third point that, that we can do in our life, first was love God with our minds, learn to love God with our minds. Second, learn to love the things that God loves, the right things. And see, learn to live our lives with purpose that we don't just go through our lives in, in such a way that we just go, whatever happens today happens, but we need to have purpose. Uh, Mark 16, verses 14 and 15, he said to them, go into the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. 
That's purpose. Go into the world and proclaim the gospel. We talked about how we, are, we have the ministry of reconciliation. There's a purpose for each one of us on a daily basis. Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let the light shine through us so people can see uh, the good deeds and they will glorify God as we live our lives with purpose. In verse th- uh, in Romans 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, I put this in here because this is one of my favorite things in Scripture, is that Paul, several times as he's writing to uh, the, different, the different churches, he said, I, try, he said I, I, I intended to come to you, but I was prevented. Sometimes he was prevented by the authority. Sometimes he was prevented by, he said, the Holy Spirit stopped me. So I get this vision of Paul uh, wanting to to run to the Romans, but yet being pulled back. And and I I think that uh, in a lot of ways, Paul was a spiritual entrepreneur. He 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 wanted so badly to serve these, these, these churches that he was going to them, but he wasn't always able to do that. Sometimes what we do is we are not risk takers in the kingdom. We, we're passive. We'll wait. Well, if God kicks me out of the door and drives me there, I'll go serve. No, we need to sometimes we do it like Paul with reckless abandonment to, to uh, live his life with purpose as, as Paul did. We need to do that in our own lives. How can we live our lives with purpose? Go into the world and proclaim the gospel. That's something that we can do, each of us, on a daily basis. Um, you know, the, 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 the apostles were, turned to, were told to go into the world. They were already living in this world, but yet they were commanded to go. So we need to learn to love God with our minds. We need to learn to, um, to love the right things, and we need to learn to live with purpose. Why do we do this? Our citizenship is in heaven, and we, as we are expats here on this earth, we are foreigners in a for, we are we are living in a foreign land as believers as Christians that we need to be distinctive, and we can do that as we as we think as Christ thought, think God's thoughts after Him, and as we live our as we live our lives uh, with purpose. So let me kind of just wrap this up. So the big conundrum uh, is this: is that we we live we're called Paul says that we are citizens of a heavenly city. But that doesn't mean that he's taken us out, that we are no longer part of this world. That's the conundrum. The conundrum is that we are to grow in our ability, to, or in, our, in our service to God, and our service to one another on this earth. All the time, at the same time, is we're really citizens of another land. That's God's heavenly kingdom. Uh, how can we do that? By being in the world, but not of the world. Live here, but not be part of the world system. We're not citizens of the earth anymore. We're, we're citizens of the heavenly kingdom, but we're asked that God has left us here, and he said he would protect us, and, and Christ prayed that, that God would protect us from the evil one. So we have God's uh, uh, protection on us. That we uh, Also, we have the duty to be ambassadors while we're here, that we represent this other kingdom, the heavenly kingdom, each one of us has given the duty to be an ambassador, to, to, have, to bring forth the ministry of 
reconciliation, to reconcile this lost world with a heavenly kingdom through Christ. How do we do that? What are some practical things we can do? Love God with your mind or learn to love God with your mind. Love the right things. Focus on the things that, that God would have us to focus on. Uh, think about what are the idols in our life that keep us from really focusing on the, the areas of our life where God uh, wants to work in our lives. And then live our lives with purpose. You know, if you think about it, I, I always thought that I was young. But then I woke up one day and I was 60. I mean, it just happened, it literally happened overnight. I told you about uh, being influenced by Keith Green when I was 18. That was 39 years ago. That was 39 years ago. It went just like that. So we need to live our lives with purpose on a daily basis and not say, I'm going to live my life with purpose next year. Or when my kids are out of the house, I'll live my life with purpose. When I retire, I'll live my life with purpose. No, God has asked us to live our lives with purpose now. It's very, very important. All right. Finally, a quote by Scotty Smith. And I, I use this quote almost every time I go, I, because I think it's just such a, it's so great. Don't idolize the past, demonize the present, or romanticize the future. Engage in God's story where he has placed you. That we're to engage with God, what God is doing in our lives right now. I remember when we, when we, uh, everywhere we've gone living overseas, we've gotten involved in the local church. And I remember there were always people who, who would uh, say, you know, I'm not going to really get involved in this church because it's not my church. My church is back home in Tennessee, or my church is back home in College Station, or my church is somewhere else. And I, and I remember uh, actually preached a sermon one time about how this is your church. Wherever God has placed you, you are to, to plant yourself now. And I think that's what we have to do. That now is the time. We can't say, you know, I'm a member of, uh, I'm part of a heavenly kingdom. My citizenship is somewhere else. And I'm just going to live out my days. No, that's not what God has called us to do. We are to be good stewards over the mission we have been entrusted with. I don't want to leave you with the impression that we can do these things in our own strength. We need to pray for God's grace as we love God with our minds love the right things, and live with purpose. Although our citizenship is in heaven, we are called to be ambassadors on this earth until God chooses to take us home or return us to us. Let's have the mind of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that uh, you've made us citizens of, our, of a heavenly kingdom. So, Father, thank you that you have, uh, uh, you've left us here for a purpose. And Father, I just pray that you would be that purpose in each one of us, that we would understand what you're, what you're doing through the, the gospel in this, in this earth today. Father, that we would, uh, we would pray for those around us, that we would be pray to be part of that. And Father, that we would, we would ask you as individuals and as a church, what can we do on this earth? We're to be here now, the Lord protect us from the, from the, the world system and will give us a vision for the future.